Hey everybody, Chase Nobles here over at Kush.com. I've got Michael Shook from Four Seasons here to tell us a little bit about his farm and his experience and uh, why why he's growing some of the best hemp in the world. So welcome to the show, Michael. Hey, how are you doing today? Good, good, good. I'm super, super excited about this because I want to know why did, becoming from the Colorado cannabis industry, Yes. Why? Why Central Oregon? What What spurred the move out there, and 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 how did that How did that lead to you know growing hemp? Um, legitimately, actually started checking into Oregon probably I would say a year before I moved out here, and in doing so, didn't really know much about Oregon. Knew about the valley. Um, that's the first place I actually looked for property. And coming from Colorado, we have a very high desert climate in Colorado which was great for growing even indoor marijuana because you're always pulling outside air to help with your rooms and, and CO2 and such. And when I came here first, went to first place I looked at was in Springfield. And it, the day I happened to go there happened to be rainy, the typical Valley weather. And I was like, I don't want to live like in Seattle. I don't want to live in this rainy stuff where you're going to have issues with mold, which means you're going to have to spray, you know, yada, yada, yada. So I was staying in Portland and the realtor was out of Portland and I happened to get on Zillow and I found this place in Bend. And I told her, I said, I want to go look at this place. And she goes, well, you know, that's a three hour drive. I said, I don't care. I'm here for three days. I want to go look at it. Had no clue what it was like. I just thought Oregon was all the same, that it was just all rainy, the same thing. And I ended up coming over here and literally thought I drove into Colorado, but even nicer. Right. Same climate, high des even more high desert climate than what I was accustomed to living in Golden just outside of Denver. So I literally like this is Colorado, but better. Right. It's amazing what that rain shadow does, right? Because you can grow hemp outdoors. You can grow cannabis outdoors on the on the west side of Oregon and Washington. But man, are you gonna deal with some mold? Are you gonna, that's gonna be a serious challenge? And and it's not just oh, this year was a wet year. That's the way it is every single year. So you're, you're literally punishing yourself every year when you put the plants in the ground because you're going to deal with it because it's not like, oh, we had a wet fall. No, you have a wet fall and you have a wet summer every single year like clockwork. Yeah, I mean, it has its positives. It's green all year round. The, the, you're growing the... grass. <laughs> <laughs> not, not the best for growing hemp though, right? No, no, no. Or the THC, either, either side's the same plant you know, just genetically engineered, modified differently. Yep. But yeah, no, I, you couldn't, I, I, I would, I just, I, I cringe when I hear these people growing in the Valley because it's like, you're, you're, you're destined, you're destined to have issues. Um, yeah. So go ahead. But no, it, it, it's, there's some great things about the West side of the state, but when it comes to growing hemp, yes. it's, it's, it, it really is hard to compare to central Oregon and how cool has been, right? How cool uh, is that yeah, town? No. Right. No, I, I, I absolutely love it here. Um, I live just out of Bend and Sisters. So pretty, pretty much the same thing other than I'm just a little closer to the mountains. But yeah, the, the climate is it. The climate really makes this easy for a grower to be good at what they're doing just just by the climate. Now, I did a little road trip down to Bend uh, over the summer. And what was really cool about that was we were going down. Um, you know, one, just cause I, I hadn't been to the area before we're, we're based out of Seattle. Right. But yep. also there's a hot spring and a volcano caldera out there yep. and it's just, it doesn't get any better than that. You do a little hike in and there's nobody there and you're sitting in hot water on the side of a, you know, a beautiful volcano crater. 
right? Yep. And with some of the best scenery in the world. Yeah, I, I am jealous of where you live. I think that's a, <laughs> it was a, that was a good decision. Awesome move. Oh, that's good. I'm glad you liked it down here because it, it is beautiful. Now, tell me what, in your opinion, I, I, I know every grower has their, has their own method and has their okay. own kind of secret sauce, right? What makes great hemp, what makes great hemp, the quality, stand out from good hemp? I would what's that, say what's that defining, you know, it's that what's that next 10% better? What, what makes the, the difference there? Attention to detail, attention to detail in your feeding program. I mean, what, what I tend to see out here is once somebody steps outside, it's obviously a bigger grand scale of things. You know, if you're growing indoors, a 50,000 square foot grow is, is monstrous. Right. But in the grand scheme of things, when you're growing outdoors, that's literally just a little bit over an acre because an acre is 43,560 square feet. So in that grand scheme of things, 50,000 square foot indoors is massive. 50,000 square foot outdoors is like I just did my backyard. Right. You know, so but people choose to lose tendency to detail once they go outside where indoors is indoors you feed you, you literally feed the plant everything it needs because when you're growing indoors you're giving it nothing because the soil has nothing so you're having to provide every single thing that plant needs when you're growing outdoors they just tend to think that the ground which you have natural soil so natural soils do have certain things in them already in there if it's already farm ground certain amount of potassium phosphorus blah 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 but well the the what we take the method when we're growing is we treat it as if an indoor grow. I literally feed these plants every two days. Literally, I, and, and that philosophy comes from indoor feeding. Why we were very good at what we did was, I have a, a theory that if you're gonna feed the plant, make sure it has it at its, at its disposal. Um, if it runs out the bottom of the pot, that's okay because it's there if it needs it. If it doesn't need it, it's not gonna uptake it. But if it needs it and it's not there, you just lost. Right. You know, and, and you, and your season is such that, you know, once the, once the plant goes into flower, you got eight weeks. And, and how, how big was your grow this year, Michael? Uh, 78 acres total. Wow. So feeding them every other day has to be yep. pretty expensive. It, it does get expensive, but in the grand scheme of things, it's the least expensive thing that you're diving into. Right. You right. know, your, your seed, your seeds alone are averaging 80 cents to a dollar a piece before right. you even pop them and get them in the ground. So in the grand scheme of things, it's the least expensive thing you can do. Now it sounds like you're 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 very conscious of the business model here. When yep. it comes to farming hemp, especially you know in your philosophy of growing quality over quantity, although it sounds like you're doing a little bit of both over there. Right. Uh, when it comes to the expense side and, and other farmers, you know, kind of looking at, at at what you're doing, where do what are the expense breakdowns for for growing an acre of hemp? Let's say. You know, how much of it is, you know, what, what percentage would you say is seed, water, you know, nutrients? All, how do you break well, the labor? How do you break that down in, in your own head and, and, and running your business? Well, at this point, you know, you have a basis for plastic and plastic and drip tape. You know, right. that's a set. That's a set cost per acre. Um, as far as your injection system, how you're fertilizing. You know, if you're injecting into it, you, you can do so many ways. Guys can do gas powered ones. We have electric ones that we can actually meter right down to the ounce on what we're metering in. That's a factor. How, how picky are you? Are you going to make sure there's not a single weed in between the rows? You know, are you going to go hand, you know, we hand weed around every single plant. You know, you also have to deal with moles and gophers around here. So you're constantly 
beating them to the drip tape because they're constantly biting into it because they want water in the middle of summer when it's 100 degrees out too. So it's just it's just daily maintenance. You know, just because the plant's growing and you got 20 acres in front of you, a lot of guys are like, ah, you know, I'm not worried about the gophers. They're only killing. Well, the gophers are wrecking your drip tape. And if they bite the drip tape in the middle of that row that's 1,300 foot long, you're not getting any water after 750 feet. You right. know, so it's just it's just concept. It, it's just attention to detail. It's it's pretending like you're walking in your indoor grow and checking on every single plant every day, um, checking for males. I know guys like for a week they're checking for males. Well, I'm checking for males for four to six weeks constantly, right, right, right to the end because you're not. One day you walk by one, two days later he's a herm and he's one. So and, and, and it doesn't take much from a male to ruin an entire plot, right? That is correct. Your neighbor could ruin your 40 acre field and he's 20 acres away. And has that, has that been an issue over in that area with local farms that you, you I'm sure you talked no, to? No, you know, I mean, it's an issue with everybody just for the simple fact is, is he doing as good a job as you are? And, and also, you have to have employees. Did that employee walk by one because he's too busy looking on his phone and text messaging his buddy? And you know, I mean, there's so many variables. It is a serious issue. I, I did hear from a couple seed suppliers that came here and see me this fall that they're genetically claiming that next season they're going to, you know, you got feminized seeds, which right. feminized seeds means there's still a possibility of seven to 10% that'll go male. Or you always, you always have your hermaphrodites in the, in the grand scheme of things, they're claiming genetics wise, one company is claiming next year that they will genetically make it where there's no way one plant can turn male. You don't even have to look for males anymore. What do you call that? Feminine seeds? Uh, no, they're feminine. No, there's already feminine, feminine seeds. They're, 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 they'll literally change the market by doing that because even with feminine seeds, there's a certain percentage of males they're guaranteeing in their genetics that none of them can physically go male at all. Well, they're that'll claiming be you won't even have to look again. I, I have a hard time believing that personally, but it, yep. it, there's so much, there's so much innovation in this space that it, yep. it, it's very possible right now. Yep. One of the big fears we had up in Washington, especially on the, especially on the East side of the state was that hemp was going to contaminate the recreational cannabis crop. Okay. So all the rec farmers were super scared. And I know that happened down there in Oregon too. Did yep. that actually become a bigger issue or was that, did that, was that more of a fear mongering and hype? Well, you know what I heard, not this season, season before I hear a ton of lawsuits out there for guys, one getting feminized seeds and they had a higher percentage than what they claimed became male sued them for their crop. I mean, I've, I've heard a bunch of horror stories just like you're claiming. Um, one thing I think Oregon did pass was that for this season and next, all farmers must use feminized seeds because, you know, here you have a farm going through all the steps of buying feminized seeds, which are a lot more money than non-feminized seeds. They're taking all the precautions they possibly can do. And your next door neighbor could say, well, I ain't, I'm not spending a dollar per seed. I got mine for 15 cents. And he literally just ruined everything you've worked all summer for because he chose not to go the right. Oregon, from my understanding, either passed it or it's in the works that you cannot plant a seed that is not feminized from a certified seed grower. Now that'll be interesting. But then again, you look at it and you think, well, some people are looking at this from industrial uses. How would you manage that? Right. It'll be, it'll be, it's, it's so young. The space is so young and there's so many, 
you know, challenges, not just on stigma and, and, and federal law and things like right. that, but also on the technicality and, and the complications of growing this plant. Right. Now, it sounds like you have a lot more experience than just hemp. And, and, it, and it seems seems to me that those have guided those experiences have guided you to be a, what I consider a great hemp farmer. What what have those experiences been and how have they applied towards growing, growing hemp over the last couple of years? I think it's just work ethic. No, you know, no matter what you do in life, if, if you take it serious and you're passionate about it, you will do good. I've, I've been very fortunate that everything I've done in life prior to doing THC or hemp, I was in golf course construction. And then from there I went into road construction. Um, you know, if you're passionate about it, you will stay at the top of the realm just because it's not work. It, it, it's a passion. And if you're passionate about something, you don't need an alarm clock to go do what you're doing. You're going to get and up I, anyway. And I've been fortunate. I've been fortunate. No, that's, that's, that's beautiful. And, and it's, it's pretty inspiring to hear that from you because um, I think so many people, just like recreational cannabis, got into this space thinking they were going to make a ton of money on year one. Yep. And they were only doing it for the money. And yep. if you've been around recreational cannabis long enough, which it sounds like you have, those people filter out after 18 months real if, fast yep yep or and, they underestimate what it really takes money wise to get to the end because even with recreational cannabis you're still from the second you get the green light to go you don't have income the first month the second month if you're the second you get the okay to grow that first plant these guys don't realize they're eight months away from actually seeing any money and you're burning from, from cash the, the whole time all the way through yeah, nonstop. It's 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 a money pit until it starts coming around the other way. That is correct. Right, right. And so, what what has business been like for you all over there? And um, uh, what what kind of products are you making right now? And what are you doing with your your crop from this year? Because seven eight acres, you know, that's that's not a small amount. No. Well, what we're doing is smokable flowers is our key thing. Last year, once the hemp prices crashed, you know, obviously the biomass prior to that was you know four dollars a point as a rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. So then when that changed last year, we kind of got a little, uh, I guess, reinvented the wheel with what we were going to do. Because we were originally just going to do all biomass, cash in like everybody else did the year before, trying to make sure you hit the, you know, 12, 14% CBD based on the $4 a point like it was two and a half years ago. And that obviously didn't happen last year. So we then uh, started making our own pre-rolls to utilize our biomass and get more money out of it. Uh, then took, had products made for, such as salves, tinctures. So trying to always reinvent the wheel to control our end game on the market instead of being at the mercy of the biomass market now, okay, can we make a buck doing pre-rolls using the same quality product? Right. Then, you know, CBD does have its advantages. I've used it myself for the first time this summer because I'm, I'm one of those people like, I don't have any ailments. So I'm not like, I got people like, oh, I take it every day. I'm like, well, my back doesn't hurt. So I don't, I don't take anything. I'm good. And actually, I hurt my arm, and I was actually starting to use our salves. I was, I was surprised at how well it worked. You know, so I, I learned a lesson myself this summer that the stuff actually does work for what they say it does. I mean, it actually helped with the pain. My arm felt better. You know, it's like, so we're trying to slowly make more products to get to the end user versus just being at the mercy of the resale market of the products. Good. And it, so, so you're taking what you're growing and you're, you're turning out finished goods. That's correct. 
great. You know, and that, yep. that just does open up the market and it, and it definitely increases your margin on the products, right? Because right. look, biomass being at $4 a, a, a point was entirely unsustainable considering yep. how much farmland there is out there right. in the U.S. Now it's, it's well under a dollar. Even for good biomass. A pound, it doesn't matter the point. They're not even after a point anymore. It's just like you need to be between 8 and 12%, and here's all we're paying a pound. It doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, the point, the the $4 per point game disappeared a long time. Disappeared. Evaporated, it's gone. right? Yep, yep. And so and so, if you're getting less than $10 a pound, if yep. which, which, which you are at this point, if you can sell it, right? Yep. If you can even yep. sell it at that price, otherwise yep. it's just going to sit in bags or you're going to send it to, to an extraction company to either toll process it or split it, you know, and which, which they're again, not doing anymore, Yeah, which they're not doing anymore. But because it, because it reduced their cost of goods sold, if they split it down to yep. nothing. Right. Yep. And then now there's a huge surplus of right. high quality distillate out there. So the distribution of finished goods is where the entire market is right now. And if That's you can correct. find those channels, you can be in a much better place. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what the next year plays out. And I, I think it's really exciting that you were able to go into um, distributing your own products and creating your own brand. What's that yep. brand look like to you? And, 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 and what makes what's important about the brand? And who are you targeting as sales channels and sales outlets? You know, we've been it's, it's been a, it's a process. I'm learning legitimately that there's a lot involved just to get it out there in the open market because hemp is still technically on these payment cloud systems. They, they treat it like it's marijuana. So they're always looking for money laundering. They're always looking for, so literally we have been six months just to get a payment cloud approval to be able to sell online. So there's just so many hurdles, something you think will take three weeks to get your stuff up and going. We've been six months and we're finally seeing light at the end of the tunnel to get those products that we spent money on a year ago into the open market. So I guess it's been a real learning curve on nothing happens overnight. Like I'm used to controlling my destiny timeframe right. wise. When, when I set my schedule that I will be done with this, this, and this, it, I, I got my hands tied. So I don't, I just turned over to my girlfriend because she has the patience and she does a great job of doing it. And I go out in the field and do what I like to do. Yep. No, I think that's the right move. Now I will tell you in a little, we're, we're going to do a little breaking news action right now. You should keep an eye out for the updates before the end of the year on Kush.com because okay. the challenges that you're having right now are not unique to you. And, uh, and, and we're about to go live with a solution that I think is going to help a lot of people out. So oh, that'd be great. Super, super excited for that. And uh, we'll, we'll be in touch when that happens. So uh, payment, payment processing has come down the line. Now I do want to ask, and, and one, of the, one of the challenges we deal with in this space, especially when you're growing smokable flour. Yep. Is going hot. Yep. How do you manage that from a business owner perspective? And what is the risk in Oregon and how has Oregon dealt with people, you know, producing product that is really hard to verify if it's hot or not in the batches that, that are consumed? You know, it, 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 it is really touchy because if you're sending out a state now, like a lot of other states, like correct me if I'm wrong, but Arizona goes off total T. Right. Utah and, goes and, off a and, delta, uh, total as well. Uh, right. To total or, or you go off the, or they go off the Delta nines. Yep. Well, Delta nines, you'll never, you'll never be hot. You could, you could almost not be hot with THC plants. Right. But, but here in Oregon, it's really ironic too, because Oregon is such a great state for backing their farmers. They're so pro farmer here that it, it it's, it's, a, it's actually empowering. It's really awesome. I had a couple of the state representatives come here this summer and like, 
Oh, you're doing fantastic. We really want to, we're here to help the Oregon farmer succeed, not fail and all these things. And yet Oregon is one of the states that goes off total, not Delta nine. And with all the genetics out there right now, none of the genetics meet it other than unless it's CBG and CBG is not CBD. Right. You know, so it, it is, it is a tough thing. Even if you pull down early enough. So that was one of our ploys this year. Get a, get a strain that had some genetics that were autoflower. Right. I was actually harvesting three weeks before anybody else was around my neighborhood. And they were actually, how'd you, and I go, well, these were crossed with an autoflower. And I didn't even know it when I planted the plants, but when I seen how fast they already started flowering and, and yet I had great size, I actually asked the seed salesman, he goes, oh, we, we crossed with an autoflower. We still have the right size, but we're flowering so much quicker. So I go, oh, I'm going to beat the worry of being hot. You, you can't beat the game when they're going off total T versus Delta 9. It's tough. It's it, tough. It, it, it is. And there's some strains out there I heard that do, but there's such a late flowering plant that in our region, now you're beating, now you're trying to beat mother nature to the punch that the plant's going to get mature before mother nature makes you take it off the field. So it's either, it's either low CBD or hot flower, right? That's correct. That's, that's kind of the choice you have to make. And, and, yep. and that's one of the challenges of trying to build a national brand in this space in the smokable side. Right. Yes. So, yep. Um, it'll be interesting to see what plays out with the federal regulations and the state by state regulations, having this mixture of total versus Delta nine makes it yep. very challenging to ship across state lines with confidence. Right. It, it, yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so you're doing salves. You're sounds like you're doing tinctures as well. And you're, you got yes. a whole smokable line. Is there anything else to add to that? Um, as things progress far as like getting these payment clouds so we can actually start getting, generating cash flow in a positive way. We're going to keep adding like the gummy bears and there's, you know, there's so many edibles that are CBD products that are great, but we're just trying to get what we have going in the mix and out in, out in circulation. Right on, right on. You know, so, so right now it's just getting all of our I's dotted and our T's crossed to actually get it out on the open market. Then we can start adding from there and increasing our product line. Now, I, I, one question has really been sticking in my head that I think, you know, everybody's curious to know. Has there been any confusion between Four Seasons LLC and Four Seasons Total Landscaping out there in Pennsylvania? <laughs> Not that I'm aware of yet. <laughs> <laughs> I was really excited to talk to Four Seasons Total Landscaping today, and then you hopped on here, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> what are they landscaping with? THC or hemp or what? <laughs> uh, maybe. Hey, who knows? There might be a partnership opportunity there. I, I know they got say, a lot that of might press. Be a good, that might be a good deal. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> At least you can get some good landscaping discounts. Oh, over oh there. I'm telling you what, then they wouldn't <laughs> mind going out and taking care of their plants. Would they? <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. Well, yeah. Michael, it's been a pleasure talking with you this afternoon. Yeah, you too. And uh, I'm excited to talk to another Pacific Northwest farmer. You all make our platform great, and it's excited to see, it's exciting to see your products on there. So everybody can check out Michael Shook from Four Seasons uh, LLC and a farm down there in Bend, Oregon on Kush.com as a storefront up. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be in touch soon. Excited to be working with you, Michael. Sounds great. Thank you so much for your time today. We'll talk soon. You bet. Bye-bye.